You're listening to a special edition of Monocle's House View, live from the Monocle Christmas Market in Zurich. First broadcast on the 1st of December 2019 on Monocle 24. It's Sunday the 1st of December and this is a special edition of Monocle's House View coming to you live from our Christmas market here in Zurich. I'm Georgina Godwin. On the show ahead I'll be joined by our Editor-in-Chief Tyler Brulé and our friends Florian Egli from the foreign policy think tank Foraus and the, the journalist Juliet Lindley. We'll be looking at the day's newspapers and considering all things Christmas. There's so much happening here at our bustling market in this beautiful Swiss city so do stay tuned as we soak up the festive fun. Monocle's House View, live from Zurich, starts now. A very warm welcome to you all. Uh, Tyler Brule, good morning to you. Good morning, Georgina Gordon. Uh, the market was fabulous fun yesterday, uh, and it continues today. It's going to be more fun today. It's December 1st. It's a bit chillier today. There's a promise of maybe snow around four o'clock. So I don't know what time the sort of the reindeers and everything else are going to show up. But yes, it's, um, it's going to be... Not a repeat. This is this is a very, very important day. Aside from being December 1st, shops are allowed to be open in Zurich today on a Sunday, which is, you know, quite significant in this part of the world. Because it only happens in, in around right. December. It does. I think there's maybe three or four uh, Sunday shopping windows. So uh, much delirium and excitement. I've already been to the airport this morning. Uh, we had a time check for Toronto. So it's good to know that um, uh, mom uh, will be heading uh, en route to Toronto. And uh, already at the airport this morning, there was like you know, tons of people. Now, airport is open for shopping already, but I think people are already taking advantage of sales and other things like that. Yeah. Now, lots of fabulous stool holders outside. There yeah, was not as cozy at Zurich Airport as it is here this morning, <laughs> let me tell you. Quite sure. <laughs> uh, there was a great uh, hat salesman yesterday who'll be back again today. Mr. Plank is here from uh, Sudtirol, though he's based uh, in Firenze. And uh, yeah, it, it's quite amazing when you have, I mean, aside from being a milliner, but just there's a certain art. Uh, and he's, he's quite uh, the gentleman to watch when he is doing the sale the mm. way he sort of sort of taps the brim down or um, gives the hat a bit of a sort of a punch at the top because it needs an extra dimple somewhere and uh, so he he's here Mr. Plank um, as, I was as, so as, impressed by him he, he kept whipping hats on and off me and found the perfect one I mean amazing are, are you going to purchase today? I will okay I good will. Yeah. to also accommodate headphones uh, yeah that's the problem <laughs> um, now how are you feeling today because we had uh, we had we had lovely uh, a lovely sort of like Post session yesterday, in this day, of course, the stall holders. Thank you very much. Uh, the the stall. And I'm saying thank you for. My, I'm not saying thank you to Georgina listeners. I'm saying thank you for a coffee that was just delivered. Um, but uh, the uh, the stall holders and everything sort of wrapped up was very nice. But the party sort of just went on here it and did. on and on. It did, and and the glue vine and much else was flowing. Absolutely. So yes. Yeah, so if um to our listeners who are um on the borders uh, of of Switzerland or, or the surrounding cantons, we're here right up until early evening here in Zurich, and then we should also talk talk about next week as well because yes. you'll be heading back to London prepping uh, for I don't want to call it the original Christmas market, certainly the original Monocle uh, Christmas market, uh, which happens next Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, it's going to be a, a, a amazing fun, I think, and and I think a bit bigger than than this one here, but a completely different feel, actually. It is. There's something about this one. Obviously, this is much more contained. And curious, in, in London, we're we're not out on the street. Of course, it's in our our own courtyard at Midori House, so it has a very different feel. But there is something. I don't want to say the random uh, randomness of this, but uh, because we're on uh, a residential. Th- 
shoulder off your hair. It's just it's a it's a different type mm-hmm. of of customer and crowd that you get. Where I think London, it's much more of a destination. You don't really just happen upon the market. Here, there's something different. It's yeah, you might be driving by, you choose to stop um, mm-hmm. because you can smell the raclette all the way down to one of one of our upcoming guests, uh, Juliet Lindley. Uh, I'm sure she could probably smell it from her balcony. <laughs> um, in the interim, between this market and the next market in London on Saturday, you're actually having a mini market in Tokyo. In Tokyo. In fact, I just received pictures. So our uh, our pop-up. So we have a monocle pop-up, uh, which is just opened at Trunk Hotel in Shibuya. That's going to be there till the end of the week. And then it'll be punctuated by uh, a Christmas party and Christmas event uh, for our subscribers, uh, for friends, partners, uh, etc. Uh, this coming Thursday night. So at the Trunk Hotel in Shibuya. So if, again, if any of our uh, listeners in the APAC region or anywhere in the world are going to be in Tokyo this week, then you can drop a note to to Nanako, uh, which is uh, NAS at monocle.com, uh, and Nanako san will help you uh, secure a position at the party. Excellent. Well, I think it's time to welcome our guests. They are Florian Edley. We ignored them long enough. We didn't do too bad. It's like we got sort of four minutes and then, yeah. <laughs> Florian Edley, who's from the Foreign Policy Think Tank for us, and the journalist, Juliet Lindley. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much. Good morning. Uh, so the newspapers now, Tyler, I don't think you've had a chance to have a look through them yet. No, so let's give someone else the task first. <laughs> well, Florian, you've been, you've been working since early dawn. In fact, writing yourself as well, I think. I'm thinking and writing and all the rest of it. What, what's the main there's a, story? There's a that's... notebook full of, of, of scribbles over there. So yeah. over to you. What's jumped out at you today? Yeah, not sure how much those scribbles help um, indeed. <laughs> but um, what's jumped at me is, I mean, in kind of at risk of being the serious guy and breaking all the Christmas harmony here, I'm coming <laughs> up with the dry news, um, news stories. What's, what's um, struck me is one, um, kind of how Europe is, is changing course in in uh, in Iran and actually circumventing U.S. sanctions. So there has been an effort led by France, U.K. and Germany um, to set up a, a facility that basically allows um, Iran to trade with uh, European countries and circumvent um, U.S. sanctions. And now a bunch of other countries have joined. So Belgium, Denmark, Finland, the Netherlands, Norway. So it's, it's, it's kind of growing and growing. Of course, Switzerland is not there yet. Um, we typically don't join these initiatives. But um, so I see kind of, you know, in a geopolitical sense, Europe is, is becoming more relevant. Um, yeah, I think that's the that's the the most important one that and struck it's, me. It's a way to distance themselves from Donald Trump's non-existent foreign policy. Exactly, yeah, and it's kind of a, a finding a finding identity question. I mean, we've heard this also in in other shows. I, I remember two weeks ago we've talked about NATO and how Macron is challenging NATO, NATO or kind to, um, you know, again sort of trying to find a European identity that isn't dependent on the U.S. And I think there is actually a real opportunity there. Um, Maybe despite or because almost um, Donald Trump, you know, going so off track that Europe has to find um, itself and, 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 and come closer and get together and, and sort of get its act together and, and think about foreign policy themselves. Absolutely. Um, in terms of uh, um, fossil fuels, which of course is what makes the Middle East so important, uh, we're seeing a big change in Germany and car man- manufacturers who are moving away from that. And, the, uh, and I, I know that you've been looking at a few stories about that today, how there's a shift 
shift in lobbying power. Yeah, exactly. And that's also, I mean, it's, it's loosely connected, I would say. <coughs> it's definitely connected to Europe because it's happening in Germany, which is the centerpiece of European politics and will be, I think, um, for some time to come. And we know that car manufacturing is the central industry of Germany and it determines what German politics do and therefore it determines to a large extent what European politics look like. So now we're seeing a, a, a tremendous shift and Audi has just announced that they're going to cut some, I think, seven to 9,000 jobs, which is, which is big, um, in traditional car manufacturing. And they're hiring 2,000 people in EVs, sort of software engineers, um, everything that is connected to the electric vehicle and the actual transition of, of you know, building environmentally friendly cars. And, and that's now impacting their lobbying efforts. So now we, we've seen two days ago in FAZ, like the main or one of the main German newspapers, we've seen an, a full page ad of the German Industrial um, Association lobbying um, the German government to allow more wind power, for example. Something that is even not to be imagined just five years ago. So this is shifting um, German politics and European politics, I would argue. And it's, it's quite a big story here as well, though. Um, if you look a lot at the, at the Swiss press, and certainly as you travel around the country, you do not see a lot of wind power. And, and this is also coming down the pike in this country, is it not? Yeah, yeah, and you don't see you don't see any at all. So, right, what what we typically do is we buy them elsewhere because there is so much debate, and and you know that the kind of particularities of direct democracy, everybody can have a say. So it's extremely. Difficult. I don't want a big it's windmill extreme. in my backyard. That's no, nobody the, the, does. That's no. the issue, right? Who wants to look at them? But then, in, interestingly, research shows once you have them in your backyard, you start to like them, and that's interesting. And if you're financially participating in the revenues, you start to like them even more. <laughs> I'm quite sure you do, yeah. But they, they, you do see how they sort of punctuate the landscape in, in not the most beautiful way. Mm. I mean, there's there's something about, they almost sort of feel that, yeah, they're sort of, you know, part of sort of the windy stretches of, of Northern Europe. But, you know, there's one down the uh, highway from here in, in Coor, and it, it's it's a bit of a blight on the valley when you head down that way. Sure, but what would you say if there were a coal power plant? It wouldn't it wouldn't really fit in the landscape either, right? So. No, no, the, it, it, it wouldn't. But I don't know, there's, there's something about the, yeah, it's just a little bit obtrusive. But. I know that you drive here, Tyler, and Juliet, you what? just... No, <laughs> I'm an SBB card carrying, I which I am. In my habitat. <laughs> Can I just tell you, this is also a geopolitical story, um, and it's sort of somewhat related to transport, though. It's, you know, we, of course, when we're in the States, and, you know, people are just, of course, and maybe, of course, rightly so, but I think they, they overdo it a little bit on security when you go into buildings in America, that it's almost like I'm leaving the country. You know, do you have a passport or, or do you have uh, a driver's license? And sometimes you, know, you leave it at the hotel, you're not always with your passport. Anyway, the one I, I do always have my half tax um, with me, and so I've actually started just using my half tax when I'm in New York, which which is called a Swiss pass. On there's there's lots of white crosses on a red background. Your photo is there, your date of birth, and people are like, oh my god, that's amazing. It's like, does Switzerland have a credit card passport? And I was like, yeah, they do. So anyway, <laughs> that works incredibly well. Uh, Juliet's just moved here from from Rome, um, and uh, I know that that you you drove in Rome, you drive here. I mean, that must be a huge change. It's a sea change, Georgie. I'm still getting used to it. Actually, I have a, an ongoing bet with 
with my husband for who's going to get the first speeding ticket. And it's actually been three months and we haven't got it yet. So I do not believe it's, it's not even possible to go for a day and not get a, a speeding ticket here. somewhere at the yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, I think this is going to say, though, I don't know if you're leasing your car or <laughs> or it's because it'll, it will come it will come and bite you when the gray you van. You are right. When the gray van shows up. Because but I can you tell you. You are right. I'm no, so I had, petrified. I, I had this happen here as well because the, you, you've already heard this story. But many years ago, I was leasing a car. The ticket, um, yeah, and yeah, I, I the got ticket, it. the ticket. So I, no, I got so I got a speeding. It was this time of year, a few years ago, and um, I was. It was like Christmas packages. I was packing up the car in front of our our old office um, over on Nordstrasse here in Zurich, and and the, and the ticket lady was there, and she was already sort of writing out her ticket, and. Um, and so, you know, I ran outside, like put the packages down. And I said, oh, you know, listen, I said, I'll, I'll move the car and everything. And she was a, a lovely lady, sort of, you know, in sort of maybe mid-60s. And she's like, she's like, do not, do not go near the car. I was like, no, no, I'll just move it. Don't worry, it's fine. Just, <laughs> do, not. do not go near the Next thing I hear sort of like the screech of wheels. And then one of those menacing gray vans here. These are these unmarked vans, which you see with no windows here in Zurich. There was just a single blue light on them. Pulls up, door opens get in give us your passport you're kidding yeah. me yeah and i was like bundling my mother's there just watching sort of like you're bundled what is, in yeah bundled in thrown in the back Good taken right to, right to the police station and uh, they said you have a, a an unpaid ticket for about uh to the tune of ah, 200 so the problem wasn't that you were piling all these christmas presents wasn't that wasn't that, that was wasn't not that problem. it wasn't it wasn't the bootleg it was that there was an unpaid ticket which had gone to whatever had gone to the german car company in bavaria I'd never seen the ticket, and then of course, you know, it was there was interest. It was about six hundred. It was about six hundred francs. But I heard an extraordinary okay. story last night as well about um, someone who got a six thousand. Uh, and I think this is good. This is good. It's dependent on your salary. Well, yes, and this is someone who was on a on one of these uh, trottinets. Trottinets. Uh, on uh, one scooters. of these on these e-scooters. e-scooters. But in Munich, Swiss was speeding and and was speeding down the street late at night. And was also intoxicated, and um, they breathalyzed him. Breathalyzed him, everything, and six thousand francs. Six thousand francs. So, but also charged. I mean, was charged in Germany and also in Switzerland as well as a percentage of their salary. That's quite quite shocking, isn't it? It's yes. A, so yeah. watch this space. I've bought an electric bike instead, and that's what I'm going around on. I've ditched the car. Kids is, that got here to to is that how you got here today? <laughs> I got given a ride Thank by you. some Italian driver who was late, and hence <laughs> my tardiness. <laughs> but no, it takes a lot to get used to in this city, I have to say, despite being half Swiss myself. But uh, I have to say, yes, particularly the speeding is a bit of an issue. I've never gone so slow in the city of Rome, dare I say that. Oh, sure. Um, Juliet, I, I know I asked you to have a look through the papers and you came up with this extraordinary story about an apple that lasts for a year. The cosmic crisp. Georgina, and it's not an <laughs> iPad or an iPhone that takes you to the stars and back. It's an apple that is uh, It's said to be able to stay in your fridge for one year. Now, Where did you find bubbles, this? On some like, weird diet oh, blog this morning? It's on the morning. BBC. It's everywhere. <laughs> okay. But you've got to wonder who goes shopping once a year, buys their apples and leaves them in their fridge for a year. But here's the thing. It was developed back in 97, or they began working on it in 97, uh, the Washington State University. And now, you know, how many years later? A lot. Um, they're launching it to the tune of $10 million. And only farmers in the state are allowed to farm it. And only farmers in the state are allowed to farm it. Um, and apparently it, it's crispy, it's sweet, it's delicious. And you can only, you can keep it for a whole year. But I hate to say it, it sounds like a very American story as, as well. I mean, this idea. Canadians wouldn't do that. Canadians wouldn't go <laughs> near it. They wouldn't like this in the Okanagan Valley. 
of British Columbia, the Apple Heartland of Canada, the Sud Tirol of Canada. There uh, it is, Sud Tirol again. Comes up all the time. It does. Hats. <laughs> Hats, anyone? Anyone? Anyone for a hat? Florian, I know that, that you're thinking about changing Buying your... a hat. <laughs> <laughs> and an apple. You're thinking about changing your eating patterns uh, to perhaps just apples or fruit. Uh, apples only, exactly. I don't know how I'm going to survive next year if that's going to happen, you know. <laughs> and there's apple leather as well, you know, that you can... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, also stood to roll. They're, apple they're developing apple leather. Okay. So you can have... Apple wallet, shoes. luggage. No, you can't have Apple shoes, I think. Coming soon to Monaco. Well, I don't know about Next that. Shops. I don't know about Next that. Next year's but Christmas anyway. market, yeah. I'm going to no, be the, here waiting for yeah, the Apple yeah. shoes. I mean, your Apple, <laughs> Apple shoe. Um, nice. Tell us about Game Changer. No, so yeah, I, I watched this movie um, yesterday. Um, I mean, some of you might already know it. It's not new, right? Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was involved. He's a producer. It's called Game Changers. And it's talking about how vegan diet is actually... Um, pushing athletes to new limits and um, you know a, a half an NFL team um, changed their diets to veganism and it's absolutely crazy like I mean I'm not sure I have to kind of fact check back on it um, I'm not sure if I believe everything but but the evidence presented there is is absolutely stunning in terms of how you're able to improve your performance um, by by reducing meat consumption and there in the movie it's actually going vegan all the way so I mean I'm really interested in these apples that last a year um, and, and any other any other product I mean, also that, you know, in terms of taste, um, there has to be some um, something else than apples. But but yeah, um, I'm, I'm seriously thinking about changing my, my eating habits. In the, in, the, in the hope of increasing your athletic prowess. That's what I was so going to say. What's, yeah. what's the driving force right. behind yeah, yeah. this? So now, I mean, it's just it, the, the, the interesting thing is another driving force has come now because, I mean, you know, I'm concerned about the environment and all of that. Yes. OK. Um, but now athleticism also has, has come there. So why not? I mean... You're going to run up the Eiger. Yeah, the getting, Eiger getting stronger with eating less meat, why not? I mean, I can do the Jungfrau Marathon, for example, next year, you know. Why not? You have to set yourself targets. Stay and tuned. Then, yeah. It's very <laughs> difficult, though, at the, at the turkey time of year. And I think we should talk a little bit about Christmas. The, because the, 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 Oh, the country. Okay, they should talk about the country. Okay. Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're uh, all connecting through Istanbul. Uh, Christmas, of course, is deeply religious for, for some people. And Juliet is our expert on this because she was formerly the Vatican correspondent at EWTN. What does EWTN stand for? Eternal Word Television Network. And it's based in uh, Alabama. And I was their Vatican oh, correspondent. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> I was their Vatican correspondent covering, I think, one of the most exciting uh, periods in uh, in Vatican uh, history, if you want, simply from a news perspective, just because so many uh, abuse scandals came to light and so much of, of what exactly was happening uh, within the Catholic Church was coming to light. So it's very, it was a very interesting period, a bit disconcerting for a lot of faithful, I have to say. And as a matter of fact, um, donations are down, particularly in countries like the United States and Germany, in the wake of, of all the news that has come out. Mm. And you know, donations are the main source of funding for the Catholic Church and for the Vatican. And you were asking me, what's it like inside the Vatican? Yes, I'm really interested how, in how the Vatican works. How different yeah. is it? Well, uh, only 900 inhabitants, and you only get a passport if you're working for the Vatican. So uh, a apart from a few, perhaps children of Swiss guards or something who were born there, not a lot of people have a Vatican passport for life. Some cardinals do. But um, yeah, popes live there and exceptionally two popes live there now you have pope emeritus uh, benedict and then you've got pope francis and that's quite exceptional because pope uh, benedict stepped down as opposed to dying and then having a new one elected uh, what's inside what's his the day Vatican look like? walls? 
uh, Benedict. Yeah. Pretty quiet. He's <laughs> sleeping in four. He does. He does write several things here and there, or you know, they they will publish. Oh, Pope um, Pope Emeritus has expressed his, um, you know, I don't know, his interest in a certain topic or a certain thing. No, he, he's he's lucid, from what I hear from my insiders, but he doesn't appear often in public. No, that wouldn't. And, say and that. what does his passport look like? That's Credit such card? a good question. Similar to. Yeah, he's using he's using his, his hard price abo or his or the train Italia equivalent. Well, the crucifix is rather like. Well, I, yeah, listen. I think last time we saw him, he was in a white helicopter um, when he left the Vatican, right? Well, there have been photos of it. Yeah, since, yeah. But yes, that yes. was sort of the memorable shot, though. So, yes. it was indeed yeah. into onto uh, yes into the horizon. Into the horizon, thing, and he exactly. went off to Castel Gandolfo. Uh, so, yeah, so what is life like inside the Vatican? Well, you know, there's a supermarket, there are the firefighters, there's a pharmacy, there's a big post office, and there's the Vatican museums. So the two big money earners would be the Vatican museums and the post office. But I don't know if you visited, Georgina, the, the museums are huge, and it takes a lot of upkeep, and, and you have a lot of employees and everything. So um, it, they have five million visitors a year, but it does cost a lot to keep it going. And and I always, I always like to tell the story of how I interviewed the key keeper of the Vatican Museums and he's a gentleman who carries around seven kilos of keys and he's the one who goes uh, at daybreak all around opening up Do you think he's moving to veganism? So he can he sort of like get an extra kilo of keys sets. next year He's a heavy lifter, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> well, that's his job and what a fast he goes into the city he opens up the Sistine Chapel and there it is all to himself you know I'm sure many of you have visited the Sistine Chapel probably with a lot of other tourists in there at the same time yeah, yeah. which makes it harder to appreciate the beauties of Michelangelo's work. And I, I imagine that, that Christmas is obviously a very busy time there but even for, for those of us who are perhaps cultural Christians or who, who don't have any kind of imaginary friend uh, Christmas becomes very very uh, important particularly here in Switzerland where it, it's a it's a, it's a tourism draw isn't it? Yeah and I think and I want to say not, not lately but I think there's been such a focus on, on Christmas markets and I think this is a bit of a boom they've existed, I would say, I mean, they've always been around, but I, they're really marketed now cross-border, uh, across Europe. I mean, even, I would say, sort of further afield. I mean, at a time, of course, when you have so many Chinese tourists coming in uh, into Switzerland, I mean, this is also part of part of the seasonal uh, seasonal draw. So it is interesting, and I know we were touching on it um, yesterday with Juliet saying, you know, do you think that there's, and I'm not sure if, if the fortunes of the church are sagging um, or not. Obviously, there's a lot of payouts probably going on at the moment. Um, that aside, do you think that there needs to be some new revenue streams, some sort of licensing deals that maybe the Vatican could be having? Copywriting, Copy Jesus in the crib. <laughs> Look, we own that scene, everybody. So they should be you know, deriving some kind Speaking of royalties of from it. Yeah. <laughs> no, anyway, but... Um, but can we talk about the breaking news about Jesus' crib? Oh, there's, there's, breaking, there's Vatican it, breaking oh, news. tell us. Well, uh, uh, a piece of what is alleged to be um, a, a piece of Jesus's crib has just been returned to Bethlehem. To Mother Care, from- before it goes Tyler. <laughs> oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> has been faulty. <laughs> has been returned to Bethlehem Ikea. to its rightful time. There was a recall. No, it there, was a, there was a product, product recall. recall. It's, uh, Anybody okay, who bought I'm a crib in Bethlehem. <laughs> there are three types of relics. Did you know that? There's first class, second class, and third class relics. And this would count as a third class relic because it Wouldn't is about a piece of something that touched the, the venerated person. Whereas okay. a piece of their actual body would be a first class relic, okay. like a 
toe or a, a piece right. of their hair or something, and then you have second class relics, and then you yeah you. So wait, what's second so, class then? That's now that's such a good question. Second class or something that the saint touched personally. So perhaps a piece of a book or a fragment of a shirt. I have to say, after last night, I feel like a bit of a first class <laughs> <like> a relic. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, Abu Mazen, the, president, the Palestinian president, had uh, requested that it be returned, okay. and it's venerated. So by what, is, what exactly a is, of, it, is it? A wheel? It's a little piece of wood. Oh, okay. oh, it's a small piece of wood. They didn't have wheels, did they? <laughs> um, they had to sort of roll it in and out, maybe. Juliet, how does True. anybody know that, you know, it's true? I mean, what's to stop you having a bit of wood from somewhere? Nothing's to stop you, but uh, it has been, it, it was given to Pope Theodore back in the 7th century, and it's been in a basilica in Italy, Santa Maria Maggiore, ever since, so... <laughs> But well, I mean, we do know that particularly in the Middle Ages, there was a huge thriving industry of thriving. people selling fake relics. Yeah. Absolutely. And manger manufacturing as well. <laughs> Mother care. Exactly. Yeah, what is it? Yes. Yeah. Dog in the manger. Oh, point, look, there's a nice segue into cats there for you. Oh, there is. Absolutely. <laughs> Julia uh, is cat lady. Uh, well, what I am no I, cat I, lady. Just we go back to the no Vatican. Cat lady. Just have one. Are the other is because the Swiss Guard, I, I never see them. You've never on horseback. One. No, no. I think I've met four, maybe they former Swiss, horseback. maybe former Swiss guards. So, are they keeping any animals at the Vatican? <laughs> oh my god! No, so I'm just wondering. Are, there is are a it, lot of cats. I bet you there are in the Teutonic cemetery within okay. the Vatican, and people do go and feed them. Okay. And I think Pope Benedict um, is a cat. Probably, and probably there's guard dogs. I would think. No. You would Swiss guard dogs. Swiss guard dogs. It, it, I think. If, I hope, hopefully, outfits. it's not like a, a Bernese mountain dog. They'd be very hot in Rome in August, oh, wouldn't they? It does they? get very hot for the poor animals within the Vatican. It's true. Do you know any Swiss guards? Did you know any? Personally? Yes. At what kind of a level? No, <laughs> yes, no. I have interviewed the odd new recruit, and you know, you know, it's getting harder and harder for them to find. Well, and the breaking news Catholics. also now now they're going to be looking. They, they never used to look for a Swiss guard in Zurich, and and now even Zurich they're allowed to well, you recruit just from Catholic. Zurich. You no, but even from any Catholics in Zurich weren't good enough. Where um, did that piece of news come that from? Was, I Tyler, think, who's your source? No, I think this. I think it was uh, Swiss Info. I think the official news organ of Switzerland. Where it was a I story. Used to work a few years ago. No, but yeah, as no. a matter of fact, uh, apparently now you just have to be Catholic, and, um, and young and strapping and, and a certain a man, height right? and male. Yeah. No female Swiss guards. Not yet. When Do you have any coming? ideas of who might want to apply? When is that coming? <laughs> not not in our lifetime, I would say. <laughs> you think? No. Be surprised. The church does. Florian, does Christmas have a political subtext? Oof, I don't know. I mean, it has a kind of reuniting. Of course you know. <laughs> it has a reuniting. Um, That's such a loaded question. It's yeah, unfair it on a Sunday morning to Regina. No, well, I'm exactly. thinking of, of the Second World War where perhaps now. there was, um, you know, a, a temporary truce, that kind of thing. And in, in, a, in, in a world where most of our wars are, are religious-based, I think that it surely must have some kind of an impact. I think, I mean... If we if we abstract from the religious component, it probably has more of reuniting um, power. And I think, um, yeah, there it, it could be. You know, I, I've talked um, to a friend um, who lives in the U.S. Um, a few weeks ago, and, and she told me, you know, Thanksgiving, I don't really like it. I, this whole turkey thing, and you know, it's always every year it's the same. And you have to buy these large turkeys, and there is this pardoning. And this year, I think they were always they were even in a hotel room, right? Like t Trump's turkeys. Um, so you know, this is this whole um, thing what to Trump's, it. What were Trump's I mean, turkeys the, doing in a hotel room? And they were living in a hotel room uh -huh. before they were pardoned, and that was kind of a new story of how they lived. You know, two turkeys in, in a so hotel you have no room. problem. You do the so wait, turkey, just wait. You have no problem taking your cat to Cortina for Christmas. Then, if there's turkeys, turkeys in a hotel, in a hotel <laughs> then I mean, this is, this is a big topic yesterday. Jordi is like, can we take 
their cat Boffin to Cortina for Christmas, etc. The LGBTQ And I cat. said, I said, listen, I said, I think it's going to be fine. It's been legitimized <laughs> it's here. So, okay. I mean, if you can have like seven turkeys <laughs> to be pardoned. Avenue, Do you think there's turkeys to be pardoned also to the Vatican as well, though? Maybe. Possibly. Uh, let me get back maybe to you cats on that. To be pardoned. How does how does how does Italy feel about turkeys? Not the they country. They don't eat turkeys. They don't do Tur- they? No. no. And when you see these big bloated turkeys, a friend of mine's husband brings it over from the states every Thanksgiving. She needs an entire suitcase just for the family. There are eight of them, but no, Italians <laughs> don't really eat. Tur- I mean, they might eat like una fettina of, of of turkey, just like because you're on a diet and you have right. it like with just grilled like with no fat on tur- it yeah. or something. No What's, what do you eat in Switzerland? And what's the Christmas meal? Fondue? No, it's... <laughs> Rösti? No, 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 we'll, we'll turn it over to Mr. Agni. Fondue chinoise, fondue chinoise, fondue, yes. Really? For Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Really? No, no that's something quite particular. No dumplings, no. No dumplings is not a thing. Turkey also is not a thing. But we don't have this particular meal. And that's um, that brings me back to this U.S. story about the turkey, because there's something beautiful in Christmas, at least in the U.S. It's so many ethnicities, so many people with different backgrounds. And on one day, they all have the same meal. And that's mm. kind of like a... It's, mm. it's almost a spiritual thing, but right, like it's one... One thing you feel connected for this instance, which I think is quite beautiful. And I think in that sense, there might be reuniting and also might be political power in Christmas, but not in a religious sense, I guess. Um, Switzerland is kind of lagging behind here because we don't have this one meal that we all eat and we don't have this one day. Business opportunity for me, bro. Yeah, exactly. Here it is. But Sichuan buffet is, you say fondue chinoise Fondue chinoise, yeah. That's, That's one typical, but I wouldn't say like all my friends eat this at the same day. It's just Probably in Ticino they don't. Probably they have a risotto or something. And then also buco. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. And in Swiss Romain, what do you think? I mean, that is just something else. Cheesy, maybe, potentially. Yeah. Cheesy How sausage. How ignorant are we? We don't know, yeah. actually. Yeah, maybe with an <laughs> everlasting in. apple. Yeah, did you, did you um, just on, on the topic, though, of, uh, of fine, fine bites, we have a lovely uh, stall uh, here, Hofladen, so which is a, a really tiny, tiny little market around the corner. It's only open on Saturdays. They have a table here, and there's an amazing sausage from a manufacturer just outside of town, and it, it's a wonderful sausage with sour cherries in it. Wow. And, it sa- and it's, but no, it sounds a bit, uh, and a bit sort of experimental, but it's not. It's just. Well, Florian will eat the cherries because he's not going to eat the yeah, sausage. Yeah, he's going to pick them <laughs> out of the sausage. We're going to have to end it there, mostly because I've got to run and have a, a cherry sausage. <laughs> Thanks to our guests. Put a cherry on uh, your sausage. Florian Eggley from the Foreign Policy Think Tank for us, the journalist Juliet Linney, and of course our editor in chief, Tyler Brule. Uh, that's all for today. Thanks to producer Ben Ryland and studio managers David Stevens and Nora Hall. I'm Georgina Godwin. Thank you for listening. <laughs>